Alright, Shavu, say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our wonderful sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Elul, Avram and Shane, the Kalman, for dedicating all the Sherman Drushos this month in honor of Yechiel's engagement to Alana Falik and the memory of their parents, Drum and Bernice Kalman and Alexander and Frederica David Zichron and Racha. To thank Barak, Maya, Sandy Hoffman, Dara Limas, and Abi Malamid for dedicating the Sherm this month in memory of Ruvain Ben Emanuel, Zichron Levracha. To thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Shulamis Bas Susha. The Dafyomi Shir for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. A week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn, for dedicating the Shurim creation of the yard site of Jeff's mother, Eleanor Cohn, Elka Bas Pinyamin, Louis Goldberg, for dedicating the week of learning, as in gratitude to Hashem for the engagement of his grandson, Eli Bogart, to Rivi Golaskov, Joseph and Ellen Miller, Iris and Ed Miller and family, Leslie and Adam Rosen and family, for dedicating the Shurim this week, Lezecha Nishmas, Yirachmiel Ben Chaim, beloved uncle, Brother-in-law, Mavis and Shama have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. say we thank all of our sponsors for their incredible generosity. And with that, let us begin. So today's daf is Ayin Vav 76. We are picking up on Ayin Hey Amid Bey's 75B at Rava Amar, which is, which is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 lines up from the bottom. So remember again, yesterday we began the Mishnah, continuing in the topic of Mumin, and specifically focused on the very interesting halachas concerning when Mumin have the ability to go ahead and dissolve the marriage. So remember again, the Mishnah brought up two cases. Case number one, is Mumin were discovered if she's still in her father's home. So the Mishnah said in that case, the burden of proof is upon the father to show that the Mumin developed after Erasin and were not, quote-unquote, a pre-existing condition which would void the marriage. However, again, if the Mumin were discovered after Nisuin, after she entered into the Rishos of the Baal, then ultimately, again, the burden of proof is upon the husband to go ahead and show that those women were in fact a pre-existing condition. So the Gemara pointed out how again it appears that the Reisha and Seifa are authored by two different opinions. So now we'll say we're going by to Rava. Am Rava says, Reisha kan nimtsu kan hayu. Seifa nami kan nimtsu kan hayu. So Rava is an interesting position. Rava says when it comes to women, the way it works is like this. We assume that where they are found is where they developed. And therefore, halach halamaysa, if the women are found ultimately again in the father's home, we assume that that's where they were. And therefore, again, they were a pre existing condition to Arison. Therefore, it is upon the father to go ahead and show that no, the woman developed post Arison. If they go ahead and develop in the husband's rishos after Nisuin, we assume they developed after marriage. If at the end of the day the husband wants to prove that they were there before marriage, that burden of proof is upon him. So I'll say that's Rava's understanding of the two cases in the Mishnah. So again, Abayi says, well, let's analyze this. Like, look at the safe of the Mishnah. So ultimately, if she enters into the Roshos of the husband, i.e. Nisun, right? It's there for the, and then now the husband discovers the Mumin. Ultimately, the burden of proof is upon the husband to go ahead and prove that the woman existed at Shalotis Aris. Before Erison, so the Gemara says, At Shalotis Aris, Hayiba Mumin Elu, Vaya Mikhomekach Tos. 
say so again, this is pretty, again, not exact quotation from the Mishnah, but a basic quotation from the Mishnah. That if the husband discovers the woman after Nisuin, the burden of proof is upon him to show that the woman existed prior to Nisuin, excuse me, prior to Erosin, and therefore this entire thing was a Mekachtos, to which the Gemara says, now, interesting, again, he has to go ahead and prove that these mumin were there before Erosin, but if he's able to prove that they were there from Erosin, apparently that's not enough. But why not? Remember, during Erosin, she's living in her father's home. According to what Rabbi just said, wherever the mum is discovered, he doesn't, by the way, he doesn't mean physically on her, wherever home in which the mum is discovered, we assume that's where the mum has been. If that's the case, if he could prove that the mum existed during Erosin, during Erosin she was living in her father's home, let's assume that what? It's been there ever since she's been living in her father's home. How long has she been living in her father's home? Prior to Erosin as well. If that's the case, then we should say that this mum was a pre-existing condition prior to Erosin, and as such, he can claim mekachtos. So again, according to what Rava said, let's say here is where the mum is found, and here is where we assume that the mum has been the entire time. mission is arsa. Ultimately, again, remember, so the Gemara says we're talking about a situation where the mum is only discovered after Erosin. Well, it's an interesting expression. We assume a person does not go ahead and drink from a cup unless, of course, he first examines the cup. In other words, that we assume that he would not have, he would not have engaged in Erosin had he not gone ahead and made sure that she was free from Mumin. To which the Gemara says, Therefore, this is only being discovered after Erosin. Right, so have only been discovered after Erosin. And again, there's another chazaka. The chazaka is that a man does his due diligence, so to speak, before going and engaging in Erosin, to which the Gemara says, Vahai Rav and if I assume. And therefore, we have to assume that it, again, he saw the mum and ultimately became reconciled to it, accepted it. Ihachi, if that's the case, Ad Shalotis Ares Nami. Ad Shalotis Ares Nami. If that's the case, then Halacha Lama even if the mum was discovered before Erosin, why don't we say Chazaka, that a person doesn't do Erosin with a woman, ultimately again, until he knows that she's mum free. person doesn't drink from the glass up until, he, you know, before he inspects it. Ela Aminon, Chazaka in Ademephayis Bemumin. Rather, I will say again, we have another Chazaka. The other Chazaka is that a person doesn't become reconciled to mumin. It was it's an interesting and interesting chazaka. This chazaka says that men are sometimes can be a little bit shallow, meaning that what that that the default assumption is that if there's a significant mum, the husband is not going to accept it. To which the gemara says, "Ella mishenis arsa." Rather, you have to see like this: the case that we're dealing with is a case ultimately again where the mum is being discovered after Erosin. Mishum di'ika tarti chazaka. Now we'll say in this case, there are two chazakas. What are the two chazakas? Number one, ha'emit ha'guf al chazkaso. Now we'll say this is an interesting chazaka. Ha'emit guf al chazkaso means what? The body has a chazaka. Now we'll say this is fascinating. What's the chazaka of the body? The chazaka of the body is that it's mum free. 
that's the interesting. That's the chazaka. That it's mumfri. Again, we're going to distinguish by the Rebbe say between different type of mumin where you can apply this chazaka. You can't apply this chazaka. Ellis the Gemara says, I'm sorry. Hamid kufal cheskaso v'chazaka ein adam shol sebakos ella ella imkain botko. And I will say there's another chazaka. What's the second chazaka? The second chazaka ultimately again is that a person, a man, doesn't engage in erusin until he knows that the woman is mum-free. The person doesn't drink from a glass until he first inspects it. And therefore, again, I will say, if there is a mum that is discovered during erusin, the default assumption is that what? He knew about it and he accepted it. So I will say, it's very interesting. So now what we're saying is like this. Let, let's take a step back. If at the end of the day, the mum is discovered after irisin. The Gemara wants to suggest that there are two chazakas at play. Number one, and here I want to point out, one chazakas on her, one chazakas on him. The chazaka on her is, there's a cheskas aguf, right? A bodily chazaka. What's the bodily chazaka? That a person doesn't have a mum. That's the bodily chazaka. Then there's a chazaka on him that a man only drinks from a glass if he first inspects it. He must have, quote unquote, inspected and ultimately, again, he, he did erisin anyway, which tells us that what? Even if there was a mum, what must have happened over here? He must have accepted it. To which the Gemara says, if that's the case, the Gemara says, My Amrit, chazaka in adam b'mumin. But one second, here's the other problem. You have a counter chazaka. What's the counter chazaka? The counter chazaka is, people do not normally accept mumin. Which I will say is, uh, is, such a, is such a profound yisod. Ain't the Mephais woman means people do not normally reconcile themselves with, with mumin. Here's a fascinating about this, I will say. What kind of mumin, what kind of blemishes, what kind of imperfections don't people reconcile themselves with? It's fascinating. Someone else's mum. Someone else's mum. It's really fascinating. My own mumin, right? My own blemishes, I'm very good to reconcile. I'm good, right? I'm good. I can easily accept those. The mumin of others, are the ones that ultimately I cannot become reconciled with. So I will say, so this is an opposing chazaka. So my amrit chazaka in Adam and Faiz Bamumin, Have Ahmed Bez, sorry, wishful thinking, Ayn Vav Ahmed Aleph, 76a, Havi Chada Bemakom Tarti. So I will say, so essentially what I have over here is one chazaka against two. One chazaka of in Adam and Faiz Bamumin that a person does not become reconciled with a mum, which means that, that would tell us that if there was a mum, the husband would not, where would be a mechachtos, right? Versus the other two mum, the other two chazakas. What are the other two chazakas? Number one, so a cheskas a guf, right? That the body doesn't have a mum. And ultimately, chazaka number two, ain't adam shose because ele imkin botko. Person only drinks from a cup. If he first goes ahead and inspects it. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Finally, therefore, also when we have a clash of two chazakas against one, obviously the two chazakas are going to win. Second line down, Ayn Vava Medalif, Sa'achilotis Aris. So ultimately, I will say, if the mum is discovered prior to Erusin, So we'll say, so let's analyze this. If the mum is discovered before Erisin, then of course I lose the chazaka of Hamid Gufal Cheskasa. Remember again, what's the chazaka of Hamid Gufal Cheskasa? That there was no mum. So obviously, if the mum was discovered, so if you could prove 
that the mum pre-existed erosin, then you cannot go ahead and utilize that chazaka. So lo So my ika, if I take that one away, what do I have? My ika, chazaka, adam botko. The only thing I have, Rabbi say therefore is what? That a person only drinks from a cup, ultimately, again, if he first inspects it. So the Gemara says, Vahayra benefayes. And therefore, again, I will say, must be that halacha lamaisa, halacha lamaisa, he saw the mum and he became reconciled to it. He became reconciled to it. So the Gemara says, Adraba, chazaka in adam mefayes bemumin, vehamid mamon al chazkaso. Here's the problem I will say, now I have one chazaka against another chazaka. I have one chazaka that says that what? That what? So ultimately, again, a person doesn't drink from a glass unless he first inspects it, which means that if we could prove that the mum pre-existed erisin, and he did erisin anyway, it must mean that what? He, he accepted the mum, he accepted the mum, and therefore, again, the erisin is good. But I have another chazaka. What's the other chazaka? Ain adam efayis bemumin that a person ultimately does not become reconciled to a mum. And therefore, I will say that Chazaka says that it must be that he didn't know about it. He didn't know about it. And therefore, Allah said the Kiddushin would not be good. So that's the clash over there. Then I will say, what happens, what happens ultimately again when you have a clash of Chazakas? So like any other time you have a clash of anything in Halacha, status quo, status quo. So I will say in this case, status quo means which ultimately means the ksuva money would remain with the husband. Okay, so we'll say, so this is Rava's approach. It's Rava's approach. So we'll say, so just, just to kind of encapsulate it, so Rava's idea in the Mishnah is like this. Wherever the mum is discovered, that's where we assume it came about. So therefore, again, case number one in the Mishnah is mum is discovered after Arisen. After Arison, so we, right, so in other words, and where, where is the girl living? Where is the girl living? In her father's home. So therefore, I will say, because the mum is discovered in her father's home, what do we assume? What do we assume? That mum has always been there in her father's home. Therefore, again, the Gemara says, it is the burden of, the burden of proof is upon the father to prove that the mum developed post Arison. And sadehu. And now again, it's the husband's field, so to speak, that has become flooded. That's uh, the burden of proof. So the default over here is the mum pre-existed, mekachtos, no marriage, no ksuva. You want to prove that's not the case? Burden of proof is upon the father. Similarly, what happens if the mum is discovered where? Post Nisuin, she's living with her husband. We assume where the mum is discovered, that's where it developed. So we assume the default is where did this mum develop? Where did it develop? In the husband's home, therefore, the burden of proof is going to be upon the husband to prove that what? The mum was a pre-existing condition prior to Arison. Beautiful. Rav, I mean, not beautiful, but good. Ravashi, Ravashi says, Reisha is actually very interesting. Ravashi says, here's the difference. Here's the difference. In the Reisha case, in the Reisha case, you must remember again, the Reisha is, the mum is discovered after Arison, while Rachel, we'll call her Rachel and Reuven, while Rachel is living in her father's home. So in that case, the Mishnah said, the burden of proof. Again, the Lashon of the Mishnah is, Ha'av tzarech l'havi raya, shemishinis arsa hayu bamumun halalu. So the burden of proof is upon the father. So look what Rav says. So I'm sorry, look what Rav says. Reisha manali abba biyadecha. So what I'll say is fascinating. The Reisha case, the Reisha case is, really, I'll say, who's making the claim? Who's making the claim here, right? 
The claim over here is really a monetary claim being made by the father. The seifa is the seifa case where the woman is discovered in the husband's home is a case of where the wife herself is making the monetary claim. Now, where is this distinction? Look at Rashi. This is fascinating. Ravashi Yamar, let's say in the short lines of Rashi, three lines in Ravashi Yamar, Mahander Nami Lo'okma Kula Kiraba Gamliel, Dechazaka de Gufa Adifa. So remember again, I both said we began yesterday's daf, uh, well, I should say we began on the base of yesterday, trying to align the Mishnah with the positions of Rabbi Gamliel versus Rabbi Yoshua. Namely, again, how much does her Chazkas Aguf play a role in all of this? So listen to this. So Ravashi wants to suggest Rashi, sorry, Ravashi, according to Rashi, Ravashi is suggesting that the entire Mishnah goes according to Rabbi Gamliel, that her cheskas haguf, right, the assumption that she has an intact cheskas haguf is what drives all this. Now watch this. So we'll say, watch this. This is incredible. Ravashi says like this. In reality, in reality, I will say, what's the dominant chazaka over here? It's really fascinating. What's the dominant chazaka? Cheskas aguf. What's the cheskas aguf, right? What's the cheskas aguf that a human, that a human being has? No mum. No mum. That's the cheskas aguf. So therefore, I will say like this. So therefore, let's play this out. So Ruvain does Erisim with Rachel. Oh, right, they're in, they're in, so now Rachel's living in her father's home. A mom is discovered. A mom is discovered. So I will say, so again, this should kind of be kind of, kind of black and white. We should assume, when did the mom develop? When did the mom develop? Right, right now. Right now means what? Means what? After Erisin, well, how can you assume that? Because she has a cheskas aguf. And what's the cheskas aguf? That Allah, she's without mom. She's mom free. That's the cheskas aguf. So listen to this. Here's the difference. In the Reisha, I will say, during Erisim, when husband is claiming dissolution of the marriage and father is claiming that marriage should really be valid, and if you want to get divorced, give her a get, that's fine, that's your business. I will say, who collects the ksuva during Erisim? Who collects the ksuva? The father. So watch this. Essentially, the Reisha of the Mishnah is a case of where the father is claiming that if Ruben wants to get out of this marriage, the ksuva is owed to him. Because it's the father making the monetary claim, the father cannot support his claim with her cheskas aguf. Isn't this incredible? In other words, we'll say, so, so in other words, cheskas aguf works when the person claiming cheskas aguf is also what? The person making the claim. But if the person making the claim is someone other than the one who has the cheskas aguf, you can't claim someone else's cheskas aguf to support your monetary claim. Such a fascinating idea. So therefore, because the ratio is the father's monetary claim, he can't use his daughter's cheskas aguf to support that claim. Absolutely incredible. The seifa, manalibi adecha. Now, both say conversely, conversely, the second part of the Mishnah, second part of the Mishnah, where again, the, the mum is discovered when? After Nisuin, after Nisuin, so now who's going to collect the ksuva in the event of divorce? Who's going to collect it? She is going to. Rachel is going to. In that case, she can utilize her own cheskas aguf. Pretty incredible. So the Gemara says, Listen to this, Rabbi said. Rabbi Meir agrees that in a case of a mom, Rabbi says, interesting Lashon, Everyone agrees with a mum 
that we know Ru'uya means that are fit to come with her from her father's home. What does that mean? The type of Mum that we assume was a pre-existing condition. Right? Rabbi Meir agrees that with the type of Mum that is a pre-existing condition, that the burden of proof is upon the father to prove that the Mum existed prior to this. In other words, Rabbi say, what we're going to see in just a moment is like this. Not every Mum is the same. So if she has a type of Mum that it really looks like it was there before Erison, in that case, the burden of proof is upon the father to prove that it developed after Erison. Rabosai, I'll just point out what a, what a profound yisod. You know, if you think about Rabosai, everyone has mumin haruuyin lovo mi base avia. Everyone has mumin that come from a parent's home. Right? Rabosai, no parents are perfect. No parents are perfect. And therefore, by definition, there are always missteps in raising children. So every child comes with a particular set of mumin from their parents' home. The difference is you can't allow those women to sideline you. A person has to find the way to grow past those women as well. So the Gemara says, Va'amai, but why is that? According to what we just said, So we'll say, again, if that's the case, if that's the case, but still, if this is being claimed after Nisuin, if this is being claimed ultimately again after marriage, then it's a claim that she is making herself. So, it's very interesting. Be a siras. I will say, what kind of mum are we talking about? Like where she has an extra finger. See, I will say, if she has an extra finger, so bepashtos, that didn't just like pop up, right? In other words, that, that's been there. That's been there. So, so that's a raya. That's, that's what we call mumin haru'uyin lavo imami base aviha. So we'll say a type of mum that we think pre- seems pretty clear that she was, that was a pre-existing condition. The Gemara says, one second. My raya maisi. I will say, so the truth is like, if it's an extra finger, so kind of that seems to be an open and shut case. That, that would be a case of a pre-existing mum, which would then potentially be grounds for mekachtos. To which the Gemara says, "No, what's the counterclaim? My raya, my see, raya dira benefayesu." No, I both say ultimately again. The raya is the raya is that what that he saw it. Right, that's the raya. The raya is that that's a pretty visible mum, right? And ultimately, again, it's going to be pretty hard to hide, and therefore he must have seen it and ultimately become reconciled with it. Good. So I'll say, so I just want to point out, bottom line, bottom line, we're not finished yet, but here's what, here's what we have. The Mishnah just gives me a very simple framework, and that's why Rava's articulation seems to be the most straightforward. Again, Ruben and Rachel get married. After Erosin, a mum is discovered. If mum is discovered in father's home, then what? Obligation is upon the father to prove that Allah Chalamaisa what? That Allah Chalamaisa the mum developed post erosin and was not a pre-existing condition. If mum is discovered in husband's home after Nisuin, then burden of proof is upon the husband to prove that it existed prior to erosin and it is a mekach toos. That's the machlokes. Did I say that right by the father? Right, burden of proof is upon, the, again, if mum is discovered in the father's home, burden of proof is to prove, is to prove burden of proof is upon the father to prove that's what? It developed post erosin post erosin and this is essentially the husband's problem. Husband discovers it in his home. Burden of proof is upon the husband to show that it was a pre-existing condition prior to erosin and it's a mekachtos. Incredible. I will say this is such a fascinating case. So I will say, here we go. 
Here we go. So I will say this is a classic, a classic transaction. Rashi says over here, here's what's happening. Right? Ruven and Shimon. Ruven, Ruven owns the par. Shimon owns a chamor. Right? Ruven, Ruven owns, Ruven owns a cow. Shimon owns, Shimon owns a donkey. They want to make a swap. They want to make a swap. So we'll say, take a look at Rashi's moment. Mashach, um, actually not yet. So we'll say, so we're going to see there is the ability to go ahead and engage in a type of transaction where two people are exchanging two, uh, two, two people are exchanging two items. The moment that one of the parties does mashicha, right, takes physical possession of the item, the other party acquires their item, even if the item is not there, not present. So for example, right, Reuven and Shimon, Reuven owns a par, Shimon owns a chamar, right? Reuven owns a cow, Shimon owns an ox. So Reuven is going to give, going to swap, sorry, chamar, donkey, right? So Reuven is going to give his cow to Shimon, and Shimon is going to give his donkey to Reuven. So the moment that Reuven, let's say, does Mashicha, goes ahead and pulls the donkey, so Shimon acquires the cow, even if the cow is not there. Even if the cow is not there. So watch this case. Well, so you're going to see what this has to do in just a moment. So I'm going to be Hudamash Shmuel. Two parties are exchanging a cow for a donkey. And the owner of the donkey does Mashicha on the para, right? So what happens? The donkey owner, so the donkey owner, so the, don- the donkey's not there. The donkey's not present, right? So what happens? The owner of the donkey, though, does Mashicha on the para, right? He takes the, he takes the reins of the cow, he pulls it, does Mashicha. Now the par is his. So we'll say, now watch this. Here's the problem, right? So now we'll say, in that moment, in that moment, when the balachamar, the owner of the donkey, does mashicha on the cow, so what happens? Transactionally, what happens? What happens? So now the owner of the donkey becomes the proud owner of the cow, and the owner of the cow becomes the proud owner of the donkey. Donkey's not there. Here's the problem. By the time the owner of the cow, who is now the brand new owner of the donkey, comes to see his donkey, what happens? The donkey's dead. Baruch Dynamis, right? The donkey's dead. Right? Donkey's dead. Shabbos Yisrael, what's the shayla? What's the shayla? Shabbos Yisrael, here's the shayla. When did the donkey die? See, it, did the donkey die prior to the Mashicha of the par? In which case the entire transaction is void because, again, the donkey was dead at the time of the transaction or... Did the donkey die after the owner of the donkey did Mashicha on the par, on the cow? In which case, in which case, unfortunately, again, the owner of the cow, who is now the new owner of the donkey, lost out. To which the Gemara says, Al bala lahaviraya para. Very interesting. I will say, who does the burden of proof rest upon? The burden of proof rests upon the owner of the donkey to show that his donkey was alive at the time of the transaction. Estalocha, burden of proof is upon him. Rashi says over here, all right, fine. So good. Burden of proof is upon him. We'll say a beautiful piece to tell you about this Gemara in just a moment, but let's go back to Vitana Tuna, Kala. So we'll say, and this is the same Aloha as we see by the Kala. Okay, for interesting comparison of cases. Right? So we'll say, so what's, what's the comparison over here? So Gemara says, hey, Kala, which Kala we were comparing to the donkey? Right? In other words, which, which Kala, which Kala case? And I was going to say, we're assume, we're talking about our Mishnah. So which Kala case is compared to the donkey? Say, Ilema, Amud Beis, Ilema, Kala, Beis, Aviha. So I'll say, if you want to say that it's ultimately the Reisha, maybe it's the Reisha. It's talking about the case of the Kala, 
were the mummies discovered in her father's home. So we'll say, so tell me, how can you compare the cases? Hasam, Maisi Av Raya Umapik. So we'll say, the Reisha, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? In the Reisha's case, if the father proves that what? If the father proves that ultimately the mum developed post erisin if the father is able to prove that, then what? Then Allah he's able to extract the ksuva from the husband. Here, Rabbi say, what's the goal? The balachamar has to prove that his donkey was live at the transaction in order for him to what? In order for him to what? To keep what? To keep what? To keep the cow. So I'll say, so it's two different transactions. I'm Rabbi Abi, you're right. We're talking about the case, we'll say the second case of the Mishnah that we call the kala in her father-in-law's home, which is the equivalent of talking about what? The kala after Nisuin in her husband's home. Vakati lo dami, still those cases are not comparable. Why? Hasam bal maisiraya umar lechazake da'av. See, we'll say there, if the husband brings a raya, ultimately, again, he erodes the chazak of the father. Hacha bal achamar maisiraya, here the owner of the donkey brings a raya, umokim chazake biadei. And ultimately, again, he establishes the chazaka, i.e., that he is the proper owner of the cow. Aram Nachar Mayitzchak, you're right. Kalavabesaviha. So I'll say, we're just trying to figure out. The, the, all the Gemara just said was this case, this case of where we say that we go back, right? So again, we go, the, the burden of proof is upon the owner of the donkey to prove that his donkey was alive at the time of the transaction. And the Gemara says, this is just like the case of the Kala. We're just trying to figure out. What case of kala are you comparing it to? So here we go. Oh, but say, what are we talking about? It's quite fascinating. But also, what we mean to go ahead and compare it to is the case of the kala in her father's home. And I will say specifically for who gets to keep the kesef kiddushin. So also, I want to point out something very interesting. Up until now, the discussion about the mum, right? So let's go back to our Mishnah. The discussion about the mum was the mum discovered in the father's home, was the mum discovered in the husband's home. The conversation financially has been focused on what? Focused on what? The ksuva. There's another financial element over here, which is what Rabbi say, Kesef Kiddushin. Kesef Kiddushin. Who gets to keep the Kesef Kiddushin? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Rabbi says, the case of the donkey, the same way that Halacha Lamaisa, the burden of proof is upon the owner of the donkey, to go ahead and prove that his donkey was, was alive at the time of the transaction in order to enable him to go ahead and what? Keep the cow, keep the cow. So too, the burden of proof is upon the father. When the mum is discovered in the father's home post Erisin, the burden of proof is upon the father to prove that what? That the mum developed post Erisin in order for the father to be able to keep Kesef Kiddushin. Oh. That's a comparison. So the Gemara says, This is not only true. We're going to see there's a fascinating machlokas, a fascinating machlokas about in general, what is the status of Kesef Kiddushin? Right? So we'll say, when a man gives a woman Kesef Kiddushin, do we assume that he allows her to keep that Kesef Kiddushin no matter what happens? I will say, by the way, this is very shy. It's not really the same thing. But you know where sometimes this comes up? In cases of broken engagement, right? Who gets to keep the ring? 
who gets to keep the ring. Now, the truth is, it's not really a fair comparison because the truth is, engagement is not a halachic process and has zero halachic validity. But again, it's an inter- it's still a far frame of reference. So again, Kesek, what we call, so the Gemara says, Velotema, this is not only a question of Libra demand, Amr Kiddushin Lav Litibu and Nitnu. So we'll say that Lashon of Kiddushin Lav Litibu and Nitnu means that Kiddu, there's an opinion that says, Kesef Kiddushin is not money that's automatically kept by the recipient, even if the marriage does not progress. Even if you hold that in general, Kesef Kiddushin is given and it's not expected back, that's only trouble. Say, so in other words, this is actually very interesting. Take a quick look at Rashi. It's about uh, six lines up from before Rashi gets wide. Rashi says, so, so this is a machlokes. When a man gives a woman kesef kiddushin. So do we say that his kavane is like this? Listen, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you this. If we get married, obviously it's worse. And even if we don't get married, I don't expect it back. I don't expect it back. So that's a machlokes. Kiddushin letivuin nivnu or lav letivuin nivnu. Does a husband kind of give it as an irrevocable, I don't want to call it a gift, but an irrevoc- irrevocable transfer? Or, or no, or no, it's only given with the intention to get married. So also listen to this. Even, this is fascinating, even according to the opinion that says, Kiddushin Latibur Nitnu, which means that when a man gives a woman Kesef Kiddushin or gives her father Kesef Kiddushin, even if they don't get married, he doesn't expect it back. When is that so? Hani Mili Kiddushin Vadai. I will say that's only when there is a definitive Kiddushin. Aval Kiddushin Taos. I will say if it's a case of Kiddushin Taos, for example, like what? Where a mum is discovered, where a mum is discovered, e maisi raya in, e lo lo. If ultimately again, then I will say, then I will say, in a kiddushe taos, everyone would agree that if there is a taos, the husband is going to want his kiddushin back. So I will say, so therefore the Gemara is suggesting is like this. When the Gemara said that the case of machlif shar bachamar is just like the case of kala, what that means is like this. Just like the owner of the chamar had the burden of proof to show that his chamar was alive at the time of the transaction, so too, if a woman is discovered on the girl when she's in her father's home, the burden of proof is upon the father to prove that the mum developed post erosin in order to allow him to what? To what? To keep the kesef kiddushin. Because even if you hold that normally kesef kiddushin is given in an irrevocable fashion, that's only in the case of kiddushin vadai. But in the case of potential kiddushin taos, the husband would want his kesef kiddushin back. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I just have to tell you very, very quickly, on the case of machlif all right, let me just do a couple more lines. So let's say, so listen, no, let me tell you this right now. Let's listen to this. On this case of Hamachlif Shar Bachamar, so we'll say the great Sadiq of Shmelk of Nicholsburg says something absolutely amazing. He says there is a Musr, there is a Musr. In this case of Hamachlif Shar Bachamar, someone is, I'm sorry, sorry Para Bachamar, sorry. Someone is exchanging an, a, a cow, a Para for a Chamar. Listen to what the Rebbe says. Get ready for this. The neshama, the soul, is called a para. It's called a para. Why is the soul called a para? Because it was a para is like period of arivia, right? Procreation. Because the soul, the soul procreates in mitzvahs. The soul does a lot of mitzvahs. Para of mitzvahs. So we'll say, but what happens in life? What happens in life? What happens so often in life is, va'adam hamachlif para b'chamar. We'll say, what does a person end up doing in life? He exchanges the para, 
the neshama, which is ready to procreate in mitzvahs, for what? For the chamar. Rabbi say, what's the chamar? Chumra, right? Not chumra, but, but chumrius, right? Physicality. Physicality. He says, Shayelo lasok be'esek haneshama, vu'asak be'esek hachomer, tahainu be'esek haguf. They will say, you hear what's happening over here in the Gemara? We just thought this was a simple transactional case. Meanwhile, it's life unfolding on that involving Ksuvis. Life is all about a person has a para. I have a neshama. I have a beautiful neshama. What does my neshama want? My neshama wants ruchnius. My neshama wants spiritual accomplishment. My neshama wants closeness and the vekos basham. That's what my neshama wants. And what do I end up doing? Hamachlif para bechamar. I go and I exchange the neshama. And what do I exchange the neshama for? For for physicality, for physicality, for the guf. And I will say, so what happens? Umashach bal hachamar esapara. So I will say, so what happens? So sometimes at the end of the day, I recognize the error of my ways. So what do I want to do? I want to go ahead and exchange. Mashach bal hachamar esapara. I want to go back, even though now I exchanged, I exchanged my para for a hamar. But now I will say, what do I want to do? I want to go back and reclaim my para. Sometimes what happens, what happens? Shalohispik bala para, limshoch hasachamara. So we'll say, so again, ultimately again, the, the, the Rebbe goes on. I'm going to leave it for you, we'll say, but just understand the power of that, of that, of that phrase. There's sometimes like, what happens, I'm saying? Sometimes we have eternity at our fingertips and we exchange it for something else. I have a para in my hands. I have an ashama. I have an ashama. And sometimes so foolishly, not even realizing what it is that I'm doing. Hamachlif para b'chamar. I give up eternity. I give up eternity. I give up an ashama. I give up spiritual growth for what? For a chamar, for a donkey, for physicality, for fleeting enjoyment, for temporal pleasure. And I will say, but the beautiful part is that which you exchange, if I'm machlif para b'chamar, I could also go ahead and what? Reclaim my para as well. Such says of Shmelka of Nicholsburg. Again, I will say, let's go back there. Let's go back there. We have a few more minutes. So now, interesting case. At first glance, it has nothing to do with our sugya. We're going to say we collect, how we connect it back. I will say this is a case of trefas. Remember, ksuvah shas cotton, shas cotton. So what happens? I shecht an animal. I shecht an animal. I open up the animal. And what do I find? I find a needle in the besakosos. Besakosos is one of the four stomachs of a cow. I find a needle in there. Now, I will say now. Remember again, what's the shaila now? Is the animal a trefa? So mitzad echad kshera. If the needle only pierced one side, the animal is 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 kosher. Mishnei If ultimately again the needle pierced through the entire wall of the stomach, then ultimately trefa. Nimsala korat dam. If there's a little bit of blood found on the needle, biadua shulif shchita. I know that ultimately the piercing took place before shchita. Lo nimsala korat dam. If there's no blood on the needle. Then what? Then ultimately I know that it occurred after Shechita. If ultimately again the piercing scabbed over. Then I know that it occurred at least three days before Shechita. If it did not scab over. Then ultimately again, then what? Then the burden of proof is upon the extractor. The Yav Tabach Dami. So we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up, however, again, if if the butcher already paid, then ultimately, again, it is upon the butcher to go ahead and bring her ass. So we'll say, again, 
We're going to stop here for that. I'm leaving you in the middle of the case. We'll pick up with this case in Mirat Hashem tomorrow and loop it back ultimately to the case of the Kala. We'll say Shkoyach.